Hey, hey, welcome to the Director's Chair Challenge. I'm your host, Fred Friendly, and somebody call Noah's Ark, because today's featured director comes in twos. It's Ethan and Joel Cohen, otherwise known as the Cohen Brothers. Now, oh brother, where are my contestants? These two will be playing Cohen Brothers games for Cohen Brothers prizes. Welcome to the show, Brad Davis and Chris Maxwell. <laughs> So happy to be here, Fred. Oh, it's a dream come true. We're big fans of the Coen brothers, but even bigger fans of you. Somebody tell that to the ratings. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, our first game tonight, it's bingo, friendo. In front of you are bingo cards filled with regularly occurring Coen brothers elements from across their careers. Regular bingo rules apply. Free space in the middle. Let's play. First up, set in the 1920s. Go ahead and mark your cards. John Turturro is up next. Actor John Turturro. How are we looking, fellas? The 1920s have me looking good, but John Turturro is no help. Aww. I've got a row and a column going, both using the free spot. Okay, last up we have a character hands over a gun only to be shot with it. Does that help either one of you? I've got three in a row now, but no bingo. Same here. Uh, nice start, but no bingo. Oof, tough break. Playing a game with no winners is a form of intolerable cruelty. More games to come on the Director's Chair Challenge after these words from our sponsors. Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got David J. Cox and Miller's Crossing! Last time we jawed, you gave me the hi-hat on tonight's episode! Welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering Talk on Movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and today we are starting an ongoing yet intermittent series focusing on the best seat in the house, the director's chair. And we're kicking off our director's chair series with one of the finest filmmaking duos in America. Uh, absolutely some of the best filmmakers going, favorites of mine. Joel and Ethan Cohen, otherwise known as the Cohen Brothers. And for our very first installment of this here Director's Chair series, we're taking a look at their third feature, as chosen by our guest today. But put a pin in that, we'll get to him in a minute. We're talking about Miller's Crossing from the Year of Our Lord 1990, directed by Joel Cohen officially, Oh, but uh, Ethan Cohen's in there, uncredited. We all know that. And written by both the same Cohen Brothers uh, and also uncredited kind of inspired by two different Dashiell Hammett novels, uh, Red Harvest and Glass Key. How about that? Dashiell Hammett. Film noir. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a big fan of film noir, and so is the man who's right to my left, 
who joins me always. He is the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hello, Chris. Hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. We're kicking off a Coen Brothers series. How could it not be going well? Oh, kicking off a Coen Brothers series. You are right. It, it can't. If we were sitting here doing Lady Killers, I'd still be like, we're kicking off a Coen Brothers series. I'm psyched. I'm pumped to do this. I just love the uh, prospect of getting to watch every single Coen Brothers movie another time. Yeah, I'm very excited. There's some I haven't seen, so I'm. they would be my first choice as far as like, okay, there's one director you have to go through and watch everything of. And those are like the next movies you have to see. It would be... Coen Brothers or Hitchcock would probably be my top two choices for something like that. So I am very excited for this. Now, uh, two things. Uh, one, I had a film noir lead in that you kind of sidetracked here, but uh, we have <laughs> a film noir radio play podcast that I wanted to plug in a comedic fashion called Death at Sunset. So we just to do have <laughs> round that out there. <laughs> we do have that. And it's funny and it's great. And it's two seasons. There's eight episodes of quality radio play entertainment out there for free. Uh, Correct. But the other thing I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. was, uh, inspired by your little uh, Coen Brothers talk here, have you seen every single Coen Brothers movie already? No, I haven't. What are you missing? Oh, uh, God, I wish I would have looked before. I, I haven't seen Blood Simple. Okay, the first uh, feature. Uh, I haven't seen Serious Man. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, There's definitely a few other ones I've missed. Um. I'm going to take a stab at maybe intolerable cruelty. Uh, I've seen parts of it. I've never seen it. For, I've seen it on like TV before. I've never watched it from beginning to end though. Hmm. Did you watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I did watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay. Enjoyed it. It was, it was yeah. very good. Yeah. A yeah. little anthology movie. Excellent. Yeah. Well, the other thing we put a pin in way back when, when we started the show was that our guest picked this Coen brothers movie to watch. Let me amend that. Our esteemed guest picked this Coen Brothers movie to watch. No caveats. He could just choose any Coen Brothers movie. He is a high on fi- high on film all-star, making his, I, I don't know, I should have looked this up, nth appearance on high on film. <laughs> so happy to have him back. David Jaycox is here, everybody. Gentlemen, what's the rumpus? <laughs> it's the only time I can possibly ever work that into a conversation and have it make sense. <laughs> Great to have you back, John on the mics, to use more of our uh, prohibition slang from Miller's Crossing. Right. It is great to have you. It is great to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, a pleasure as always. And it, uh, believe us, the pleasure is all ours because you brought maybe the Coen Brothers movie that I have seen the furthest away. I have seen every Coen Brothers movie at least once. And I think the amount of time that has passed since I watched Miller's Crossing and this and this recent viewing was maybe the biggest gap of any Coen Brothers viewing I had. So I was very excited to, re- oh, nice. to revisit it here. So thank you for choosing this. I'm ex- well, I'm excited to hear how, how this was for you uh, after, after so much time. Like, did you, was it what you remembered? Uh, yes, boy. I, I don't want to start this off on a negative foot because I certainly am not negative on this movie at all. But I will say, I think I personally liked it a little less than I did the last time I watched it. I still think it's a fantastic movie. And I really, wait till we get to where scene. I have almost nothing. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to rank. I don't have three things to rank. So this is the first time that's happened. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I got to figure that out in one of our breaks. But I, 
personally, I have such a deep connection with so many Coen Brothers movies, and I just that personal connection just wasn't quite in this movie for me. Like Lewin Davis, Hail Caesar, uh, Hudsucker Proxy, Lebowski. Like I have deep personal connections with these movies. And this one is kind of like just stays on my surface. Interesting. Interesting. And you know, for and uh, this has been one of my favorite movies pretty steadily from the first time I saw it. But I get what you I get what you mean. It's it's a movie that kind of keeps me at a distance in a in a way that I don't feel the deep connection that I do to like some of the ones you said, like Lebowski. I don't like it. Doesn't like Lewin Davis breaks my heart. Like oh, yes, I I Fantastic. am on the edge of my seat for No Country. Yeah, No Country. I mean, but this oh feels it's so it's I mean it's it's the Coen brothers doing their own language in the way that only they can and doing it within a context where it, it, even though we all kind of know and love mob stories and can get invested in some of them, this one almost seems like we're looking through, we're, we're watching a play of this, this made up mob world. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it's, this is the second time I've seen it. And the first time was about five years ago. And I liked it when I saw it the first time. I didn't remember it very well. Like I thinking about doing it and I was like, I don't like I, rem- I know I saw this movie. I don't really remember a lot about it. And then now watching this again, I'm surprised. Like, I actually like it more on a second viewing because now there's definitely parts of this movie like that'll definitely stick with me. Like there is no way I'll see this. This movie will come up again in five years and I'll be like, man, I just don't really remember it. Like that is just not going to be the case after this viewing. So it's definitely taken a jump in my book, but I do agree the emotional connection. And actually there's kind of part of one of my worst seen things kind of has to do with that. But like, I feel like there's a little bit lost there as well. So I'll kind of touch on that down the road. Uh, I got to tell you my first, uh, I'm about to sound incredibly old for our generation right now. The, I Years before I'd seen this, this was one of my favorite trailers on VHSs that I would get from Blockbuster. <laughs> mm, I love that. That, yep. that, that sweet spot of mid nineties where home theater was blowing up and they would do those great like montages of a whole bunch of like classic film stuff. And the Miller's Crossing thing just had all these great trailer moments, like him getting punched a few times, that great explosion from the warehouse. Like it just, that always stuck with me. But since I was 10, 11 years old, I had no context for knowing what this movie was supposed to be. Had no idea who the Coen brothers were yet. So I never, I never circled back to it until college when I'm getting into film noir and all of a sudden this other movie comes along. Oh my God, Miller's Crossing is incredible. Before we go any further... Maybe, maybe you saw Village Crossing a long time ago and can't remember a thing about it. Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you've loved the movie and would just love to revisit some of the finer moments. If you're any of these people, you're going to enjoy what's coming next. Brad and I have prepared a little trailer for Miller's Crossing, and it goes a little something like this. In a world of crime bosses, fixed fights, and double crosses. Friendship. Character. Ethics. One man will attempt to talk his boss into killing his lover's scheming brother. You always take the long way around to get what you want, don't you, Tom? You could have just asked. Gabriel Byrne is Tom Regan, 
a respected heavy and right-hand man who happens to be sleeping with his boss's girlfriend, Verna. I was in the neighborhood, feeling a bit daffy. So I thought I'd drop in for an apartment. After confessing his affair to Leo, Tom will take a beating up and down the streets of an unnamed city that's obviously New York. If I never see him again, it'll be soon enough. With nowhere to turn, he'll cut a deal with rival crime boss Johnny Casper. But first, you gotta promise not to say I told you so. I never say that, and I don't like people who do. And to prove his loyalty, Tom will have to kill his former boss's lover's brother, mentioned at the beginning of this trailer. You gotta remember to put one in his brain. Your first shot puts him down, then you put one in his brain. Then he's dead. Then we go home. I'm afraid of you. Look at your heart. I'm afraid of you. Look at your heart. 20th Century Fox presents the third feature from the Coen brothers with so much 20s vernacular, it'll fog up your noodle. So take your flunky and dangle. Drift, small guy. Drop dead ape. Gabriel Byrne, Albert Finney, Marcia Gay Harden, John Polito, and John Turturro. I guess it seems sort of irresponsible my being here. Up is down, black is white, and nothing is what it seems. Johnny, exactly as big as I let you be and no bigger and don't forget it ever. The Coen Brothers, Miller's Crossing. Now if you can't trust the fix, what can you trust? Oh, there it is. Our first Coen Brother director's chair. Director's chair. Director's <laughs> chair trailer. Consonants, man, I'll tell you. Oh, boy, they're tough. They are tough. Well, here's a couple more words starting with consonants. And now it's time for trash. Star. Destroy. That's right, it's time for Trash Star Destroy, America's favorite podcast game. We're going to give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the tough decisions. You'll have to trash one, which means it's eliminated from existence completely. You'll get to star in one, in whatever role you'd like to take for your fragile ego. Uh, And then, of course, the third movie must be then destroyed, which means the only version of the film that has ever existed has been both written and directed, much like our beloved Coen brothers, they'll do both, this person, uh, the person is Mr. Michael Bay of The Rock fame. So let's get to it. This is, I mentioned, the third film, featured film from the Coen brothers. So let's do the first three movies that introduced us to this fantastic filmmaking duo. Blood Simple, their debut. Raising Arizona, their surprising uh comedy after their crime noir blood simple and then right back to the crime noir genre miller's crossing blood simple raising arizona miller's crossing trash star destroy uh okay i think i can start with this um i think uh, it's either i i said before i haven't seen blood simple um I mean, I know what the plot of Blood Simple is, but I think 
I'm going to start in Raising Arizona. I think I got to do it. Uh, I think I'm going to take the cage roll. It's too, it fits me too well. And I, I, it's a toss up for me between like Raising Arizona and Miller's Crossing, probably on my Cohen list or back to back. I would assume I haven't thought about it as much, but um, so it's tough, but I, I want that role. That's a more fun role to play. And Holly Hunter, I, I mean, John Goodman. I mean, you're getting a good cast of people to work with. Therefore, I am going to trash Miller's Crossing, and then I'm going to give Blood Simple to Bay. Uh, I, I'd rather Miller's Crossing not exist than see it in Bay's hands, because it'll just be typical garbage. Mm. See, I think, uh, on my end, I think I'm giving Michael Bay Miller's Crossing. I want to see him do a period gangster piece. Uh, you know, I mean, what's the the worst we get is something like Public Enemies or um, what's the one be. that came out around the same time with Brolin um, and um, Emma Stone and uh, Gangster Squad. Gangster Squad, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we get something like that if if Michael Bay does Miller's Crossing, and I'm all right with that because even those movies, as terrible as they can be, I kind of like them. I'll still watch them. Um, I'm going to trash Blood Simple. That's pretty easy for me. That is lower on my Coen Brothers list. Not that it's not a good movie, but it just doesn't have the just awesome Coen Brothers power that their coming films would have. And this maybe was the easiest choice for me. I am absolutely starring in Raising Arizona. Uh, sorry, William Forsythe. I am palling around mm. with John Goodman in Raising Arizona 100%. Uh, that's a great choice. That's a really good choice. Thank you. Oh, that is outstanding. I would, I would see, I would pay to see Raising Arizona with either of you in that combination. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That really means a lot to me. Yeah, that's, that's great. What are you doing, David? Are are you joining us in the movie? You know, I'm joining, unfortunately not. I am joining, I am joining you, Chris, in Trashing Blood Simple. Um, I'd rather it not exist than, I don't want to star in it. It's, you know, it's a small, you know, smaller cast and it just doesn't seem like it would be as much fun in Bay's hands. Uh, so I'm going to let it go. Also, I think it'd be fun to have uh, Blood Simple exist as this Coen Brothers legend. Like, do you hear they did this, like, horror, like, you know, thriller called Blood Simple? Like, that doesn't exist. We can't find it. Um, uh, I'm going to star in Miller's Crossing as the bartender. Oh. Uh, that guy that just gets to trade, uh, you know, ch- shots at uh, 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 Gabriel Byrne about his tab and subtly threaten him about uh, being over on the bookie and you know not too not too much not taking away any of these other great uh, performances but still kind of in some of the fun scenes enough that it'd be fun to fun to do. Hell yeah, that's great. Um, that's that's a really good good uh, good part. And you yes, get to be in that big room and, for all the big uh, crowd scenes and everything. Exactly. It's you know, it's nice to dress up. And speaking of dressing up, uh, I'm giving. Uh, Mr. Bay raising Arizona because with that exact cast with the, the chases and the mayhem of stealing the baby and uh, this, this biker from, you know, biker from hell chasing them, but Bay would just take that and ratchet it up to 11. I'd honestly love to see that. Unfortunately, very little of the comedy would actually be successful. I feel like, but (laughs) none. 
I mean, you're you're not wrong though. It's a it's a good script for him to try and tackle, like baby stealing, biker from hell. I, I think it's uh, escape convicts. Yep, and he's already got the raw ingredients with Nicolas Cage and uh, Vanessa Marcel from The Rock. So you just kind of sub Holly Hunter in, yeah. and then just let Cage play off her. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then uh, you do The Rock and Mark Wahlberg from Pain and Gain as Forsyth and uh, Goodman. Uh that's a good call. <laughs> Wait, not too bad. Wait, let's 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 get Bay on the phone. <laughs> yeah, all right. Hey, Mikey. We've Mikey. been trying for years. We're still on hold, Brad, since episode one. All right, guys. Well, that one seemed pretty easy. So maybe uh, in this second Trash Star Destroy, maybe we can get a little little more challenging here. Miller's Crossing starts off a lovely tradition of the Coen brothers killing off Steve Buscemi. They kill him off in Fargo, very famously, and the Big Lebowski. So let's do three movies that are killing Steve Buscemi. We'll do the Robert Rodriguez Desperado. We'll do... Uh, maybe one of the best movie titles, in my opinion. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. And Michael Bay's The Island. Desperado, things to do in Denver when you're dead. And Desperado, we're killing Steve Buscemi. Trash, star, destroy. I'm probably going to star in Desperado. I mean, that's probably the best movie of those. I mean, what role do I take is tough. I'll I'll just take the role of somebody he kills at one point. Isn't that that bar, is that the bar scene where he's like Yeah, take Steve Buscemi's role, Brad. Oh yeah, I'll take Steve Buscemi's role. <laughs> just That's what I'm gonna it. do. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's definitely the role to take, of course. Damn it. Um so yeah, I'll take his role. Um I guess I'm gonna give Michael Bay things to do in Denver when you're dead, just because I don't want to give him his own movie again. Um, and therefore I'm trashing the island. Trashy island. Sorry, Ewan McGregor. I'm sure he holds that as one of his most favorite film experiences. Him and ScarJo? And ScarJo, yeah. Yeah. Michael Bay did not write the script for the island, so oh. now he's writing that. Maybe maybe it's dumber. It could get worse. <laughs> yeah. It could get worse. It, it get, well, God, I wanted this to be a challenge, but Brad, you just took, took my answers, man. Uh, I'm Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I think... Michael Bay would do pretty fun things with things to do in Denver when you're dead. And I hope he keeps the title because that's great. And honestly, some of the cast, I'd be in for this Michael Bay movie. It's a good cast in that movie. Yeah. And easily trash the island. I mean, it's maybe not the worst Michael Bay movie. Obviously not. It ha that has to be a Transformers movie. But Definitely. I, it's easily the most forgettable. 100% the most forgettable uh, Michael Bay movie that, that even exists that weird, we grow your clone to harvest body parts for, replace, replacement body parts for you. Trashed. Easy. David, save us from our mediocrity. What are you doing with these three? Get ready for this. I'm going to start off being as boring as possible, and I'm going to join you in starring as Steve Buscemi and Desperado. Right. I love that we're all um, three doing it, actually, in yeah. retrospect. That just, sound, that just sounds like the most, fun, the most fun part out of all of those things. But where I differ is... I think you're vastly underestimating what the creative brain and the whatever ego id cocktail in Michael Bay, what that would do if he had to remake his own movie. Hmm. So that means I am trashing things to do in Denver when you're dead and destroying the island because I want to see Michael Bay 
process the combination of the huge variation. Like some people say it's the best, like people who don't like Michael Bay movies think it's a great Michael Bay movie. Some people like I've, I've, I've had a friend try to sell me on the deep dramatic chops that he, that he shows in, in wrestling with, you know, Scar Joe and Ewan McGregor's, uh, uh, existence, figuring out all that clone stuff. And then all of the the stunts, all those big set pieces, is he going to keep it in the same city? Is he going to try to do it in like Dubai or something? Is this, you know, and just watch that circuit just build on itself and build on itself. Something incredibly bad is going to come out of that. Yes. I, but I want to see what that man does. I'm so fascinated by this experiment. I really want it because I'm really curious to see what he changes, what he thinks he can improve upon or thinks didn't work in the original that he wished he could fix. I, I'm super excited for the experiment. That being said, I'm still standing by my choice because I think he can come out of things to do in Denver when you're dead with that cast as like almost an Armageddon level movie where it's like the cast just carries it. I mean, you got Walken and Garcia and Buscemi and isn't there someone else in that that's decent? Yeah, there is. Like Treat Williams or someone like that. <laughs> Treat, Treat, Wilson, Treat Williams would qualify as decent, I suppose. Most of it's going to take place going up and down the peaks of the Rockies. Oh, William Forsythe, hilarious! Oh, oh yeah, of course, yeah. he's great. Oh, Christopher Lloyd, Bill Nunn, Treat Williams, <laughs> Jack Warden. Oh, Feruza Balk. Wow, this cast is pretty stacked. Bill yeah, Bob. I, I I did look at it. and I was like, oh man, this is a stacked cast. Treat Williams, man. Who can forget him from uh, the Substitute? From, uh, yeah, it's he's substitute. He's in like Substitute two through four, though I believe he's not in one. He's not the original. No, substitute. I think. Tom Berenger is the original substitute. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and then it's like yeah. substitute two, in comes Street Williams. Williams. We should do those. Uh, that would be great. That'd Why are we wasting our time with the Coen Brothers retrospect? Everyone's talked about the Coen Brothers. No one talks about the substitute series. I've seen... And this is where we pull the handbrake and turn, and really get into it. I've seen the Berenger substitute movie more than once. Ugh. I've never seen any of them, but I they're etched in my brain from working at a video store. I remember always seeing them like, what are all these movies? Who's renting these substitute movies? Brad Davis was, apparently. I only know what it is because of the VHS uh, cover in the same blockbuster that I was getting movies yeah. that had the Coen Brothers, or the, the Lost Crossing trailer on them. Well, that's way too much talk about the substitute franchise. <laughs> I can't wait for someone to listen to this podcast and be like, yeah, I came for Coen Brothers, and they talked about Tom Berenger's The Substitute for, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's the high-on film promise. You come for one movie, and we're going to go off on a tangent about something else. And that's Trash Down Destroy for another week. Simple as that. Guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more high-on film, more Coen Brothers fun with Miller Crossing and David J. Cox right after this. Tired of figuring out a movie's plot even before the film is halfway through? Do you miss having to go back and watch a movie a second time just to process the density of the plot? Well, 1962's French New Wave neo-noir Le Doulou is for you! A robbery gone wrong tests the loyalties of cops and robbers alike, and the film focuses just enough on the protagonist fedora for you to say, huh, they're showing a lot of that hat! From Jean-Pierre Melville and featuring the star of 75% of French New Wave classics Jean-Paul Belmondo comes a film that influenced Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, and the Coen brothers. 
Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Doulou. It means hat. And police informant. Double meaning. Welcome back to High On Film. We're still talking Miller's Crossing. From the Coen Brothers Director's Chair with David Jacox. And here we go. We're diving into the movie. Finally. No more substitute talk. It's time for scene work. We're an optimistic podcast, if you haven't noticed, and we're going to start things off optimistically, and it's... Best scene. We rank these, by the way, now, David. That's a change from the old high on film. We're going to do top three and bottom three scenes. So let's start it off with number three. Best scene. I can kick it off. Uh, My number three best scene is the opening scene. The hat in the woods? And it blows away? No, 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 no. That's not the... No, no, no. The opening (laughs) scene... I know. I'm being a jerk. That's after that. (laughs) The opening scene in Leo's office with Tommy there and... um, What's his name? Casper. Casper in there talking to him. Um, Very Godfather... uh, Very, very many Godfather vibes from that scene. But I think uh, it does a great job of immediately dropping us into this world, understanding where we are understanding the type of characters we're dealing with and uh, Joe Polito and Albert Finney are so fucking good in this movie. Burns, Gabriel Burns great, but Polito and Finney for me are like steal the fucking show. And Turturro's great too, but they are amazing in this movie. I have Joe Polito's name underlined in my notes because of how fucking good he is in this movie. And you're right, not to take away from Albert Finney, but Joe Polito fucking makes this movie. Yes. Uh, and that opening scene is so good. You have Burn there and he's not really saying anything. You're just getting little reactions and you're seeing this um you know, uh, a standoff between the two of them. And I think it gets, you know, I kind of harp on this a lot, but like, I think it gets out a lot of exposition very naturally, which is hard to do uh, in a scene like that. So I, I think that scene is terrific. As soon as that scene ended, I was like, right. Yeah. This is a Coen brothers movie. This is going to be great. Um, So (laughs) uh, yeah, that's my number three, David, number three, best scene. So my number three is, uh, uh, Casper and Tom in the warehouse when uh, when they bring him in to uh, to he kind of you know threaten him slash buy him off uh, to to get at Bernie. This this one scene just had there's a couple, there's a few scenes that I love in this movie, but this one just has this wonderful like buffet of everything the Coen Brothers do well uh, from the the beginning when he comes into this warehouse like you know it's clear he's being like you know strong arm threatened by casper to come wherever he's going but he comes in and the kid that kid my god um casper's son so just one of my favorite questions is what kind of father is this man like what is you know he's saying he eats too much what does he eat what did you have for lunch a hot dog. A hot dog. He finds that the funniest thing in the world. Wait, that's it? A hot dog with mustard. You hear that, boys? Mm. The kid's as smart as a whip. <laughs> give him a penny. Yeah. Makes them all give him a penny. It's so funny. You owe him a penny. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this 
otherwise like down to earth on the nose gangster just turns into this lunatic over his kid. It's the fun. And the way they dress that kid up to pull the hat just high enough to like elongate his head, just the little comedy, the Coen brothers find in their little, in their extra. But that's not even the best part of the scene. You get a great square off. You, you get this great showdown between uh, Casper and Tom. And then you get that, that awesome fight where the Coen brothers are at their, their rhythmic best of like takes off his shirt. He takes off his jacket. He takes off his hat, tells the guy to hold up, <laughs> whacks him with the chair, kind of sucker punches him with it. You expect the fight to really go off. The guy pauses, looks hurt, like his feelings got hurt, much less his face getting smashed, and goes off to tell on him. And says, Jesus, Tom. (laughs) So disappointing. Because, I I mean, I'm going to piggyback. This is my number two scene as well. Oh, well, this is my number three as well. Uh, (laughs) Love it. I'm proud of it. This is going to happen for all of these numbers. Yeah. Go ahead, Brad. Go first. God. No, I, I mean, da- or David, keep going. Honestly, like he's I mean, hitting, he's hitting all the points for me anyway. And th- but then once, but then like once it really goes, and the Coen brothers step on the gas when Tic Tac, because Frankie's the guy that gets his uh, yeah. face hit with the yeah Tic Tac. Um, Tic Tac just comes in, doesn't take off anything. In fact, like further buttons his suit and just proceeds to get down to business, beat the crap out of Tom, who say who's quote saved at the very last second because the cops rush in but not before tic tac kicks his lights yeah out. exactly not even saved like he is just he is beaten unconscious and then the kind of he wakes up and the cops are there it's it's great this is a brilliant scene it's i david you're totally right Coen brothers buffet is perfect that is the perfect phrasing because there's the the tense negotiation between um casper and tom uh there's uh, the fun, like absurdity with the sun, and then there's this hilarious, brutal fight. Man, that chair sucker punch where Tom Hull makes him hold up for one second, takes off his jacket, pretends to put his jacket over the chair, but just drops his jacket, picks up the chair, and goes whack, slaps him across his face is outstanding. And then, like you said, then delaying the fight because he's hurt by it both personally and physically and goes to tell on him is just so fucking great. And, and it's, it's outstanding. And I'll add then when he comes to, it's now the cops are beating the shit out of the, the tic-tac. guys who are beating the, beating Frankie, and and Frankie and Tic Tac and like, Oh, well, these guys are going to be interrogation for a while. So then you have that, which ends and then leads out to Tom talking to the police chief which is just a hilarious like relationship of like, I got no power anyway. So like that whole thing from the beginning of that fight to like the end, when he's talking to the police chief, when that whole sequence ended, I was like, wow, what a fucking sequence in a movie. All right, Brad, that was your number two. That was my number two. It's, it's a great scene for all the reasons you just said. Boom. All right, David, what about you? What's your number two? Uh, my number two, and this is my big curveball. Um, I'm going to preface this with something. The thing I love about the Coen brothers is they do so well in comedy and so well in drama, horror, thrill. Like it's amazing to have those skill sets, uh, those tonal skill sets in one director or team of directors. And this movie 
could has moments of really being able to go either way. So after uh, we leave the scene with uh, Tom and Verna, we cut to this dog. This this beautiful boy, this scraggly kind of mangy hair over the eyes mutt. And then this random kid. And the Cohen, like speaking of things the Cohen brothers do well, they draft their extras and their day players with more care than most people direct or cast their co-stars. <laughs> like the brilliance of the random person just taking up space in the Cohen brothers' world. Anyway, the kid with these, you know, these big ears and then just this deadpan look on his face. And then the dead body of Rug Daniels. Yeah. I lost my mind the first time I saw this. I had no idea what this was building to, but to put a, a, you know, to, to, how do you, how do you lessen the shock of seeing a dead body all of a sudden you make it the punchline in a rule of three comedy beat. We got funny looking dog, funny looking kid, dead body. And what does they, what does he do? He doesn't scream. He doesn't look traumatized by seeing a dead body. He yanks off the toupee. Yeah. And that just, for me, is just part of why this movie is so much fun, so delicious, so clever. And it's so random, but I couldn't not make because that's one of the reasons I love this movie. I, I love that scene, too. It doesn't make my list, but you're so right in it being like indelibly Coen Brothers. Because the Coen Brothers, more than any other director, any other directors, uh, they insert this like chaotic uh, real life into it. Like these elements, uh, the hell they focus on it in No Country for Old Men, but like these chaotic elements that don't, that just happen by random and play huge parts in their stories, but like no one accounts for them or no one ever finds out the truth because that's kind of reality. Like, yeah, some kid, just homeless kid could just yank the toupee off and left, but to everyone in Miller's Crossing, all the gangsters are like, those sons of bitches, they killed him and they stole his toupee. And now they're holding that as like a further insult against them for killing Rug. And it's so, I mean, the Killer Brothers do it in all their movies where there's just like this, these, these others, these, these real quote unquote real people who insert themselves into these wild plots. And it makes them so interesting. And, and, I mean, frankly, I don't know if other directors could even do this and get away with it like the Coen brothers can, because it would just feel so out of place in other movies, I feel like. But man, it's 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 that touch I just I absolutely love. It's that that is the Cohen touch that just floors me. Well, I'm super excited to see which one of because I only have two scenes here, obviously, for two and one, but they are the scenes of the movie, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm very curious to see which one you left off to mention orphan boy stealing toupee <laughs> because my number two is Danny boy, Albert Finney, Leo, the Irish mob boss of the town of unnamed New York uh, is in his bed. And when Casper's guys come in and to try to kill him, to put a hit on him and end it for all, he notices the smoke from the below floor from the what is it? It's the shootout, or the, they the, the fire started after they killed the guy, and now the the smoke is coming up through the 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 cracks in the floor, and he noticed that while he's in bed, and he gets ready with his little revolver, 
and man there is just so much machine gun fire in this scene scored to a beautifully soaring version of danny boy and finney just kicks so much ass it's incredible from beginning to end I mean, just mowing guys down when he gets a hold of that machine gun, shooting the guy from when he's down on the ground after he crawls out the window to even getting the motherfuckers in the car before they drive off at the last second. Just cold blooded. This is why you're the boss of this town. And it's awesome. It's just just great, great gangster fun. Yep, the care he takes, he he doesn't even like jam his cigar out. He he puts it out delicately so he can light it again later after he's done some murder. Yep, yep. Keeps his cigar out of it, puts it back in his mouth after everyone's dead. I mean, whew, awesome. Awesome. It is such a badass scene, such a badass performance by an actor. That's why it was my number one scene. Oh, please. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hit a lot of the points. Uh, it is unexpected too, a little bit from Albert Finney. Like, you know, he's the boss and not to say you're not sure why, but he hasn't like, they keep talking about how he kind of has bad judgment and all this up to this point. So then when he's in his room, deduces everything that's going on and then just like basically becomes an action hero, but with a Tommy gun, like in this, you know, 19... 20 late 20s uh new york it's just a such an awesome scene the song plays so beautifully into it um i mean then he lights the cigar afterwards it's just uh it's a fucking awesome scene i mean i don't know what else to call it uh and that's why it was my number one well brad you you once again ushered us into number one what do we got david what's your number one so my number one is the uh uh, the the question of ethics that opener into into the main title this time around because I've seen this movie I've seen this movie a bunch of times like it's the the tone the Coen Brothers look like that great Barry Sonnenfeld image has always just been like comfort food so I I, I like to to just kind of enjoy it and uh, something I noticed this time around was this opening scene is a major clue in why I now love Verna as a character. Marsha Gay Harden, the literal only woman in this entire film. Or no, actually, Frances McDormand is also in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she has a cameo. <laughs> she has a cameo. You know, I enjoy their, I enjoy some, we'll get to, we'll get to some of this in, in bottom scenes, but uh, uh, I like some parts Poor of scenes. what she and uh, Gabrielle Byrne have uh together but uh one thing i really enjoy is her as this as just one of the grifters that she's one of the ones who's playing the game she and like she sees the angles she's her brother's sister she's kind of she can go like she can match tom in the mental game she kind of wins the movie um but so in this scene watching the the opener this time around she's already been kind of buttering up Leo that she's the only person in this movie who is playing the game longer than Tom is because for all of Tom's big master plan, hers is already in motion by the time the movie starts that she knows her brother's doing this, doing this fix. She's screwed. Uh, he's kind of screwed over Casper. Oh, that's dangerous. I'm going to start 
laying the groundwork to protect you with Leo. Wow. Is that expressly premeditated in the script? Or are you just assuming that? She doesn't, She well, she admits to Tom that she's uh, basically working Leo to get protection. Mm-hmm. But the the fact that Tom's already noticed, so in the, by the opener, the fact that Tom's already noticed that they're going on carriage rides together, that means that she has already been yeah. working to protect her brother. Right. And so just the long game of this woman doing whatever she can, playing the leverage that she can, was really cool. And I hadn't noticed, I hadn't picked up on that uh, that before. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't believe you guys didn't talk about this scene that I have for number one. I th- I have a I have an idea of what it is, but throw it out there. Is it the wood scene? Yes. Yeah. It's it's Tom having to go kill Bernie. Yeah. And he's driven out by it's Frankie and Tic Tac again, I believe, and they take him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, "Hey, man, all right, you're gonna work for Casper now. Go kill Bernie like we've always wanted." And he doesn't want to do it, and he drags him out there and. My God, you are convinced he's going to do it. Like, you're like, Gabriel Byrne is going to fucking shoot John Turturro. I mean, Steve Buscemi is not long for this movie, and you feel like John Turturro is going the same route. You're like, oh, is he only in, like, two scenes, and then that's it? And Turturro pleads his fucking life out, and it's so good. I mean, like, he's just leaving everything out there, and... Because he has to, because it's his life, and it's so good. He's so repetitive and just, like, exhausts every muscle in his body, just begging Tom not to kill him, to look in his heart and not kill him. And it, Tom doesn't. And that that gunshot, I like, I've seen this movie three or four times now, and still, this time, I was like, that first gunshot, I'm like, I'm surprised by it. I'm like, wait, he didn't kill him. <laughs> like he, he shot somewhere else. Cause you don't expressly see him turn the gun away or anything. You just hear it. And he's still sitting there and he's like, Oh my God, I'm still alive. And it's just, it's excellent. It is excellent filmmaking. It is excellent acting. It is an excellent, uh, turn to propel the plot into, uh, just, just chaos. It's, it's wonderful. I, and I, I love it so much and it's easily, easily my number one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was... I'm so happy you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, it was that was definitely one of the ones I was in debate with at the three spot. Yeah, and then, of course, the climax is a perfect comeuppance of everything when uh, John Turturro, of course, has the fucking balls to put that in Tom's face when he goes, look in your heart again. Yeah. And, of course, Tom goes, this time, instead of letting him go, he says, what heart? Put some lead in him. Yeah, especially after he, like... Yep. basically said like oh you believe that shit when i was doing that in the woods yeah, like yeah. basically gave him the opening to like oh well it, now i'll never believe when you actually do this he taunts him with that earlier he's like oh good now all i have to know is just i have to squirt a few tears to yeah, exactly. if you ever pull a gun on me and it's just like man how can you bite the hand that feeds you like that like what yep. a prick and to re- and to really get us on the side of like yeah shoot this guy yeah. he you see this like obnoxious thought where he's like uh oh I'll do this again and he does it like half assed and it's just that much more like oh you little all right guys if there's a best scene that must mean there's a worst scene 
I uh, I guess what are your bottom three worst scenes? Let's start with number three. Yeah, I'm scratching the bottom of the barrel for this. This is such kind of a, a lazy choice because um, I don't even have a, a good argument behind it because I'm reaching for something. The Tom Verna relationship doesn't work for me as much as it should. Like it, it's a little tired and, and maybe that's because now I've seen so many versions of this, this movie's been around a long time and you know, it's exists in a lot of noirs or whatever, but this one didn't have, and they're both great actors, but it didn't have that spark that sometimes you feel like, like those two just didn't, there wasn't a spark there that sometimes you get in those scenes where the scenes between the two of them, I felt like would have really benefited from. Especially for this guy to, to sleep with his boss's girlfriend, like a mob boss's girlfriend, they would have to have such a strong snappy connection. And you're right. It's, it's not really there. Right. Particularly when they're trying to like, it's the whole, they really hate it. Yeah. 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 Passionate. Like they, it's like the, they really hate each other thing, but they just can't stay apart. Yeah. And it, you don't feel that really, you don't see it enough. So it, they're both really good in this movie and the scenes work for sure, but it, it definitely lacked that next level to really make me buy into it. I, I get it most in their, in their uh, last scene together in the phone booth when she pulls a gun on him. I find more passion and, and intimacy there than almost in any other other scenes together. Totally. That's the best one. Yep. And my, so my, literally my, so I'm uh, the, the ranking of the, the worst scenes is uh, one is the absolute worst. You got two. it. So uh, the first two Tom and Verna scenes are my one and two for oh, just that reason. Because wow. when we get to the back half of the movie, that's when their connection is these two kind of players of the game, you know, the peas in a pod, their actual connection and their actual chemistry starts to play out. Like they're at, like they have some great things to do as actors, but the first couple scenes, they're just having him treat her like a generic noirish dame. Yeah, for sure. I was about to and say the they dame. waste a lot of development on what could be a really interesting dynamic on this really kind of tired, not particularly aging well, like, oh, well, you'll sleep with anybody, so here I'm just gonna grab you and kiss you for no reason. Right. Go and ahead. not and not doing the work to build that relationship otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like already having these kind of stock stereotypes stereotypical characters but then okay if you're going to do that then at least make the the character development between the two of them so strong that you can kind of maybe work past that a little bit and the and it's not there yeah my number three is a little trash star destroy inspired i want more buscemi like one scene that's all we get and then you kill him off screen and you you don't get the like uh, come on He's so great. He's so fun. He's talking a mile a minute, which is a great Steve Buscemi persona, like a great look on him. I mean, let's let's get some more of this. Like he has this relationship with the Dane, not Dame, but Dane, the, the character. I would love to have some of that in this film to kind of just give Buscemi a little more screen time. And like I said, I only wrote down one thing initially <laughs> for this. So I am just throwing these next to this one and the next one out here. Uh, my number, my number three is um, the, and you know I hate to say because I absolutely love the climactic scene in Casper's place. I don't like Drop Johnson, the punch drunk, clearly brain damaged, 
uh, like retired boxer. Yeah. Like I get it. It's consistent with the fixed fight, that kind of noirish dirty boxing kind of thing, but it's just really uncomfortable to watch. It's like, especially after years of like NFL concussion stuff and like, Oh, this isn't quite as funny as it was when I was a teenager watching it. Like, um, and especially on a rewatch, that amazing climax when all of a sudden he just starts screaming. It's like, can I just enjoy, can I just enjoy everything else in this? I keep forgetting that I have to turn it down when that happens. Cause I don't want to hear him screaming at me. Like, yeah. I mean, that's my number one too, is, is that is him screaming incessantly while the climax takes place. And I know it's very unsettling. It's, you know, obviously this dude has mental health issues. I never really found it funny. I don't think I ever like found it funny. I always found it like pretty upsetting and like odd. Cause like before I knew about concussions, like when I first watched the first time I watched the movie, I just was like, Oh, what a weird quirky choice that Coen brothers, I guess. And now I understand why, but it's still not my favorite part of this movie. I'm still like, mm, I'd rather not have that in this, but you know, whatever. But the rest of that scene is pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, what are we missing? Who still has to go anything? I feel like I've done my one. David, you've done one and two and three. <laughs> I think Brad, we're where my, are you in worst scene? We're at my two. So my two is similar to what your three was, Chris, which is I think while the second round, roughly the second half of this movie is very good. I, I do feel the lot like no Albert Finney in that second half almost mm-hmm. at all is felt. And that was one thing where, especially when he comes back at the end, I was like, man, I really wanted him in this longer. And I, I kind of know the way the script goes and everything. He can't be, but I did feel that loss a little bit in the second half of the movie of not having Leo and not having kind of this, him and Gabriel Byrne had have such, they have this great chemistry, this yeah. back and forth, this spark, um, if you will. So not having that kind of be there in the second half, I felt a little bit this time. It's again, not a big thing. There's nothing big about this movie that's bad, but I just wanted more Albert Finney. Yeah. All I wrote down for my, you know, off the cuff number two was, yeah, like maybe more women as well. Like, it's not to cut you out of the movie, David, but, like, instead of the bartender, why not a cocktail waitress or, like, you know, something like that. Like, you can just insert small parts. I mean, I understand it's, like, the Times, late 20s New York gangsters weren't, you know, a scene populated with women, nor were the police force or anything. But, you know, they could have done something to get a few more uh, females in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Put Francis McDormand behind the bar and uh, add some texture to Lazar's like Hell yeah. operation. Yeah, because she's great as like the New York secretary. She's really fun like that. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot she's in this. Yeah, she and then you have for her quick scene. Casper's wife is in like one a quarter of a scene. Again, not even the best roles for women, but at least some roles for women would be something. Lots of lots of 2020 vision here. Yeah, for sure. So, Brad, you're Number one, we're seeing Bernie at the end when he's in the room with Tom and he hands him his gun. It's just like, why would you hand him your <laughs> gun in that situation? You guys aren't friends. You've tried to fuck him over now multiple times. 
why are you believing like, oh, we're going to set this up and you just hand over your only weapon? They play it well enough and they sell it well enough that it's not like it's something that really bugs me. But when I saw it, I was like, yeah, why would you give him your only weapon in this instance? Well, Devil's Advocate a little more. Well, because one, because Tom didn't kill him the one time he was supposed to. And because maybe he still thinks he has the protection of uh, Verna and Leo. I mean, he is yet, that is yet to be proven otherwise until Tom kills him, really. Yeah, I I get that. It just still feels like in that situation, why are you giving up your only weapon? Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to recoup a little clout for saying that I liked it a little less this time. So. <laughs> exactly. I feel I, I feel like we're 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 square now. Like, okay, like cool, when, cool. Uh, you know, when he pays off Lazar, like, OK, you're you're good. You can bet some ponies. Again with me. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. it, it is hard to come up with a worse scene in this movie. It's hard to come up with much to really criticize about it the screws are tight yeah script is solid as hell i mean the acting's terrific it's it's hard to argue against all right guys great scene work we built a hell of a movie that means (laughs) it's time for milking it america's second favorite podcast game We're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 here in just a second, and it's going to provide us with a number of pieces of information. Uh, The first thing it's going to do is it's going to dole out to us one of three pitch times, either a elevator pitch at 30 seconds, a water cooler pitch at one American minute, or a boardroom pitch, which is a minute and 30 seconds to get out a brand new pitch for the movie we just watched, Miller's Crossing. The only catch is it's also the computer will also give you a genre, an actor or a director to use in your revisioning of the movie. We'll need a title and a quick summary of how this uh, Miller's Crossing would play into a new genre or play uh, being directed by a certain person or play having a brand new star uh, at the center of the project. Uh, so you'll have your pitch time. We'll need a title and quick summary. I think I said that. I'm only repeating myself now. So let's roll out the big computer and see what she has for us today. All right. Oh, computer. Oh, how nice of you. I haven't done this in a while. I'm going first. I'll, I have the elevator pitch. 30 seconds to do. Okay. Miller's Crossing as a Sofia Coppola film. Not bad, considering this has a lot of Godfather influences, and Sofia Coppola is in Godfather 3. The Godfather Coda? Is that what it's called now? I think it is. Or the new, the... It was the recut. recut. Yeah. yeah. All right, Brad. Water cooler pitch. One American minute. Another director, the master of horror, Wes Craven. Ah, okay. All right. Wes Craven's new nightmare is actually remaking Miller's Crossing. It's a joke. I know. Okay. (laughs) David, that leaves you getting the executive, the top of the line, the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds, a minute and a half. This is unprecedented to do Miller's Crossing as 
another director card. We got three directors coming out this time on the computer. I don't think that's ever happened before. Maybe it has, but I'm too lazy to go back and check. You're going to do Miller's Crossing as a Catherine Bigelow film. Nice. Yeah. that's. A- I'll get her Oscar ready as we speak. <laughs> Speaking of, we now have just Drew, just as many women as have won Best Director Oscars in one milk in it. Yeah. Way to go, Academy. Yeah, way to go, Academy. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick moment to gather our thoughts, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. Here we are in the middle of milking it. We're back, and I'm up first. I got the elevator pitch for a Sofia Coppola movie. Um... Another director. I, I'm only one movie away from seeing everything she's ever made, so this should be easy for me. The only movie I haven't seen is Somewhere. Somewhere. Slipped through my fingers. All right, here we go. 30 seconds. Sofia Coppola's Miller's Crossing. All right, Sophia's making this, so we need a, stand, uh, a strained father-daughter relationship, obviously at the center of this film. Boom. Verna is now our star. Marsha Gay Harden, if we can still get her. She's now Leo's oldest daughter. And she's having a secret affair with her father's right-hand man, Tom. Uh, She's going to pull all the strings, taking a nod from you, Mr. J. Cox, uh, and orchestrate everything that happens in this movie, everything that transpires. Only this time, instead of to do it to protect her brother, she's protecting her true love, a fuck-up errand boy that works for Leo. And you know how they keep calling her a twist in that uh, pre-prohibition slang in this movie? Well, in Sophia's movie, she's a twist of fate. Mm. Okay, bravo. Very nice. Thank you. Very nice, very nice. I would see that. Yeah. Mob boss's daughter sleeping with the muscle to protect her fuck-up boyfriend. I'm sure she'll find something for, uh, for Bill Murray to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bill Murray's the mob boss. I think he's Leo in this one. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it is fun. It's good casting. All right, Brad. Yes. You got the water cooler pitch, my friend. One American minute to do Wes Craven's Miller's Crossing. Yes. Are you ready for this? I think so. Grab your Dixie cups and let's go. A group of five gangsters have to take a man, Bernie, out into the woods uh, to kill him while he's pleading for his life. They all walk him into the woods and do shoot him, leaving the body and heading back towards their cars. They arrive at the cars to see that their tires have been slashed. So now they're stuck here for a little while. They're worried about having the body being so close by. So their idea is we're going to go hide the body till we can kind of clear out or just keep it more a little off the radar. Um, Then they go back to look for the body. It's no longer there. Now they're growing suspicious of each other. One heads back to the road to look out where they all go to search more. They find him dead when they're walking back down the path. Now they uh, one runs off scared down the road. They chase after him. They get to the road. He's disappeared. Um, and then there's two of them left. One gets her throat slit. The other one also gets killed eventually by the sister of Bernie, who is revealed to be the the killer, and we end the movie with her driving off with ne- with Bernie's dead body in the back seat to prop- go properly bury him. In Killer's Crossing, uh, I thought you were going to say Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, that would have been great. 
That would have been funnier. <laughs> but Killers Crossing was very, I like Killers. It's, Killers it Crossing's a good. Yeah, and, exactly. and, that's, and they will say I, I didn't reveal it earlier. They will say at some point that they're at Killers Crossing rather than Miller's Crossing. So yeah, yeah, it's a good Wes Craven title. Right. I'll I'll take that into consideration. Weekend at Bernie's is funny, but it's not Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's already a movie. <laughs> Correct. This would be a really weird remake. It's already two movies, in fact. Correct. Yeah. All right, David. You're you're uh, capping us off with the Catherine Bigelow's Miller's Crossing for the boardroom pitch. 90 seconds. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to, to present your movie in front of the bigwigs of this town? Give me one quick second. Okay, I'm, I am... <sighs> Pressure, pressure, pressure. All right, yeah. Shake it off. It's all right, man. It's just like Taylor the thousand Swift. times you've done it in front of us. <laughs> except seconds. everything is riding on this. <laughs> except, every, except a million dollar movie is riding on this. Ready? Go. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the virtual boardroom, we need to get people back into theaters this summer. We need to give people something to rally around, something that is going to give them heart, but thrills. So do you want to be on a thrill a minute roller coaster ride through the prohibition underworld of gangsters, bootleggers, but with the heart and soul of a classic bromance? Of course you do. <laughs> so sit back and strap in as Academy Award winner Catherine Bigelow combines the, un- the indelible characters of Point Break, but in a romance this time, uh, with the edge of your seat suspense of the Hurt Locker. Bigelow reunites with Jessica Chastain to star as Regan, the street smart rummy on a losing streak who sits at the right hand of the town boss starring. And we can't emphasize enough how much we need somebody who's going to exude power, who's going to exude authority, class, and the, the vulnerability that really makes the, the, this boss really something special and really hammers home this friendship. So starring as Leah, we have the one and only Janelle Monet. Oh, yeah. Regan will go to any length to protect Leah from all enemies, like the uh, the, the rising star in the underworld, uh, Rose Byrne, playing Giovanna Gaspare, a.k.a. Gigi Casper. And, you know, <laughs> down, to the, down to the dim, we have the, uh, the, the homme fatale, uh, Vern, played by another Bigelow favorite, the one and only Keanu Reeves. Yes. I the, love the term. Know, the vicious love triangle. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the seemingly dim-witted, but, uh, but otherwise sharp as a razor uh, manipulator who's really angling, uh, angling Leah and uh, threatening to upend everything that Reagan has fought so hard to, uh, to protect. So this war between Leah and Casper engulfs the entire town threatening everything and it's up to Regan to navigate the minefield of bullets bottles and bros to protect her true friend and maybe just maybe get her hat back <laughs> nice <laughs> thank you for bringing the hat back into things too because we didn't talk about that at yep. all uh in what's the title Catherine Bigelow's The Rumpus <laughs> <laughs> I like it yep. I like that a lot yes great casting great casting and I will say two things I'm going to carry with me forever. Hum Fatal is so good. I can't believe I've never heard that before. And sit back and strap in. 
Now, well, not mutually exclusive, because you can definitely sit back and strap in in a car. Sure. You don't really hear them back to back. And I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, it's Bigelow. We got to we got to pull out all the stops here. No, great job, man. Really, really great job. That's that was outstanding. Uh, guys, I think we just sold three movies into the big Hollywood studio system. So congratulations. Thank you. Well, guys. That's the end of the show. Uh, There's only one last thing we have to do, and that's Brad Davis. You just watched Miller's Crossing. What are you going to do next? Funny enough, you brought it up. I've never seen Barton Fink, and I, as a writer who's had writer's block before, I've always wanted to see Barton Fink. That's that's been a Coen Brothers movie for a long time where I'm like, I can't believe I haven't seen this one yet, for better or worse. So I... I do look forward to watching that one. Yeah. All the kids in the Simpsons go off to see it when they're after soccer practice. I believe. Uh, right? Yeah. 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 Excitedly going to sneak into <laughs> an R-rated, R-rated movie. movie. It's Barton Fink. <laughs> Barton Fink. That's really funny. Oh, it's great. That's really funny. Wait till you see the movie. <laughs> David Jaycox, you just watched Miller's Crossing. What are you going to do next? Uh, I'm going to keep riding the Cohen wave. I think uh, it's been a long time since I've seen Raising Arizona, oh. and uh, I, I think I need to to, to rewatch it with, uh, you know, keeping uh, you two in mind as the recast. So uh, thank you, please, and enjoy that movie is always a delight, always so good. Chris Maxwell, you just watched Miller's Crossing. What are you going to do next? You know, I I thought about saying something like I should read some Dashiell Hammett novels. I, I love noir. I've actually never read any Dashiell Hammett at all. Um, so I was thinking about maybe doing that. But let's be honest. What I'm really going to do next is just try to wait as patiently as possible for Joel Cohen's solo directing effort. Maybe the first one we're getting uh, in The Tragedy of Macbeth. Starring oh. Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. It is oh, yeah. slated for 2021. And I cannot wait to see Joel Cohen direct Denzel and Francis McDormand as Macbeth and Lady Macbeth can't in this fucking adaptation. Fucking wait for this. When I saw that they cast those two in those roles, I was like, this is like dream come true. I never knew how much I wanted this. And now it's all I want. Right. Well, I mean, I guess look for it come award season. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Sometime between October and December, I imagine it'll be out. Guys, that's the end of the show. Woo! David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for making us watch Miller's Crossing again. It was an absolute delight, even though I maybe just n- knocked it down a few on my co-host you, list. You redeem yourself, and then you immediately... I gotta be honest. I gotta be honest, Immediately though. knock <laughs> yourself back down. All of that I still goodwill. Love it. I All love that goodwill. It. I love it. There's honest, and then there's, hey, after I just redeemed myself, hey, remember that time I hurt your feelings? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I care deeply for 10 of their, like, 18 features. So uh, Miller's Crossing is just on that cusp where I'm like, this is a perfect movie. It just doesn't have the the gut-wrenching that I get from some of the others that I really love. <laughs> you just got to have that gut-wrenching. Well, I only say that meaning, like, like No Country and um, Serious Man, uh and uh, Lou and Davis, of course. <sighs> Anything to plug, David? <laughs> now that we're solely, solely, completely off course. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I want to plug the Hollywood Legion Theater. Um, I know we all kind of have missed 
theaters and being, you know, that shared experience of being in front of the screen together. Um, and they, uh, are one of the places that opened up a drive-in during quarantine. And, uh, you know, after months of just not seeing anybody, all of a sudden I got to go and see stuff. Like I saw rear window. I saw from Russia with love. I saw singing in the rain. I mean, I've forgotten how great singing in the rain was and to see it in this beautiful 4k drive-in, uh, like right up in the hot, you know, the Hollywood Hills. Like it's this, uh, it's this great experience and, uh, they really have curated some amazing, amazing titles. Like those were just the ones I saw personally. So go, uh, if you guys want to check it out, please do. It's uh, hollywoodlegiontheater.com, uh, just spelled like it sounds. And, uh, the, in, uh, the indoor, uh, theater is at, you'll see a picture of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, they have not only 4k, but they've also, they also run, uh, 35 and 70 millimeter. Please check it out. Uh, keep on, you know, help out, help out a great local theater and a great team. Um, yeah, hope, uh, hope we all get to see each other there. God, sooner than later. BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Cross Maxwell. That's Chris with an O where the I should be across your social media accounts. Guys, you're listening to Ion Film. You better know where to find us on social media. And check out Death at Sunset, another great podcast. David, thank you as always. I am already looking forward to having you on the podcast again. It was my pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Love you guys. Love you too, buddy. Love you too, buddy. And listeners, you know we love you. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Director's Chair Challenge. It's time for Rank Em If You Got Em. Where you'll rank the movie you just watched against the other Coen Brothers movies you've done on the podcast. To refresh your memory, those movies are Raising Arizona, The Big Lebowski, and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Brad, we're coming to you first. Where do you rank Miller's Crossing? Well, Fred, out of those four, number one for me is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I'm a fan of Lebowski, but I don't love it the way a lot of other people do. Still, it just edges out Raising Arizona. So as much as I liked it, Miller's Crossing is easily number four on this list. Raising Arizona? Brad, you're raising hell on our Twitter feed with that Lebowski take. Chris, you're up. Where's Miller's Crossing rank for you? All top 10 Coen Brothers movies for me. So help me, I'm basic. I love Lebowski. And Oh Brother and Raising Arizona are right behind that. So unfortunately, I have to go with fourth place. You hate to see that happen to such a fine movie as Miller's Crossing, but perhaps it only speaks to the strength of their oeuvre. We'll see if these two can turn things around next time on the Director's Chair Challenge. I'm Fred Friendly. Good night. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com.